It's good to be here with you. Uh, thanks, Brother Mason, for the warm introduction. Uh, like you said, I work within a varsity, and I serve as an area director uh, overlooking our work in the different schools in the D.C. area in Southern Maryland, and I've been doing it almost 10 years. Um, and I'm actually here partly because of the support and the encouragement of Redeeming Grace. Uh, and so I want to start by just saying thank you. Thank you for ways that you've loved on students, uh, whether it's college students through InterVarsity or uh, high school students and middle school students in supporting Young Life and Eleanor. Uh, I just love your, your heart for this community and your heart for uh, the next generation, uh, these young students. So I'm just deeply grateful to be here, and it's an incredible honor to, to bring God's word for us today. Uh, it's fun to share an office with Jeremy and Adam and Eleanor, uh, and it's been really good to just hear about the good work that God is doing in this community and the different ways that you're engaging uh, the gospel and engaging uh, Southern Maryland. And so uh, today we're going to look uh, from John 4. Uh, I get to preach one of my favorite stories of the Bible. Uh, I've taught it many times, and my students usually, whenever I bring it up, they're like, oh, here we go again. Uh, but I've never actually preached on it, so I'm excited to be uh, preaching out of this text. Um, and so if you have your Bibles, if you can uh, go to John 4, and I'm going to read all of it, uh, most of the story but then we're going to kind of skip around. Uh, now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sigar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, for the Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given the living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us well. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, 
The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, I'm he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, why, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. We're going to skip to verse 39 to continue just the story of this woman. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him and because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the word, the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we come into your presence knowing that we're empty and broken, but you are loving and caring and merciful and gracious. Lord, this morning we only hunger and thirst after you. We want your will to be done in our life, for you to reveal to us your truth and to be transformed so that we become more like you. So Jesus, I pray that what we hear today is only from you. Help us to honor the text. Help us to honor you. And that all of this would be centered around the power of the cross in our lives. That we would leave this space transformed by you and and with your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Today, my hope is, by the end of this conversation, you would walk away with an idea that the gospel, like sharing the gospel is not for the professionals. It's just for the average person like you and me. It's... All of us have access to it, and all of us are able to dispense it and share it with anybody. And my hope is you will feel and think and believe that, and I hope that we can see the text, and the text will help us to do that. Now, this text, this passage starts with an obvious tension, and that is the text starts by saying that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He was going from Galilee... uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee, from Judea to, to Galilee, and he said he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the reason this is a tension is that in this time, to give us some background, Samarians or Samaritans were people who, during the exile, when the Assyrians took over back in, uh, back in the day, uh, they had enslaved all the Israelites and took them with them. But in the specific region of Samaria, there were some people that were left, some Israelites, who over the next 200 years of exile or uh, 200 years of oppression, they intermarried into the Assyrians. So when the exile was over and the Israelites came back, they found the people that they left had intermarried with people of different background. And so the Jewish community that just came in considered the Samaritans unclean. There was a racial tension with them. Uh, and, and in many ways, it, it looked like it's two group of people, even though ethnically they're the same, generationally, they hated each other. So much so that the Pharisees, 
whenever they're traveling from Jerusalem to Galilee or from Galilee to, uh, to Judea, uh, instead of going, the most direct pass, the most direct way would be through Samaria. But because of the tension and the hate that they have for them, they would literally go out of their way to go around Samaria. They would avoid the most direct path. It was that kind of tension that we're entering in this story. Uh, to just expand on that, when the Jewish community had returned and they're starting to build the temple, the Samaritans offered to help, and the Jewish people rejected that offer. And over the next years, uh, each community would vandalize each other's properties, terrorize each other. Uh, their relationship was defined by bigotry, prejudice, superiority, supremacy, and all sorts of division. And I believe the text enters this way because I think the point that John is making in starting the story this way, that Jesus had to pass through Samaria, is to show us that the gospel is for all people. It's not just for people who think like us and look like us or, or associate with our way, but it's for our people. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you look at the word had to pass, it's, it's, there was something that convicted in There was something pushing him to go in that way. It was within his purpose to go in that direction. He could have gone around like every other uh, Pharisee, every other religious leader, but Jesus makes an intentional choice, an active choice to go through Samaria. And what we see in this text immediately is that Jesus starts to break all these different barriers that get in the way often from us caring for people. Uh, I think John shows us that the gospel is for all people by showing us capture this tension between this woman and Jesus around racial issues, around cultural issues, and some religious tensions. And I would love for us to see it. And the first thing we see is in verse 9. There is this racial boundary. When Jesus comes, he's thirsty and he needs water. And he asks, can you give me some water? And what does she say? But I am a woman from Samaria. Uh, she knows that what Jesus is doing is not supposed to happen, right? He shouldn't be interacting with her because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. She's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to do that. But Jesus reorients her and he says, but if he knew the gift of God, if he knew he was talking to you, then you would ask me for water, right? He engages in that tension. He walks in. That's what the gospel does, right? The gospel is for all people. Immediately she says, oh, I'm not just a Samaritan, but I'm a woman, now, here's one of the things we learn about this woman, and most commentaries agree, that she's getting water at the sixth hour, right? It's in the middle of the day. It's hot. Often, the best place, the best time to get water is early in the morning, which means if she's getting water in the middle of the day, it's more likely she's trying to avoid people. It's more likely it's not just that she's a Samaritan woman, but that we see later on that she's been with five husbands and she's not living with another man who she's not married to with culturally at that time would be a big no-no, right? Yet she is, um, and she's in the middle of the day by herself. Often women would get in early in the, early in the morning and in a group usually. So what we know is that this woman is here to be left alone. <laughs> she wants to be left alone, yet Jesus shows up and he starts to talk to her. And she's like, but I'm a woman, what are you doing? Women often in this time are not allowed to talk to a man without the presence of her father or an older sibling or her husband. So there's a protocol here that Jesus is not following that she's like, what are you doing? 
But Jesus engages her and he says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for water. Well, now she's a little bit uncomfortable, so she pushes in and she says, but this well is from our father Jacob, our forefather Jacob. His ancestors, people before him, have been drinking from it. Are you greater than our, our, our father Jacob? She's bringing up the cultural uh, practices that they have that she's like, are you greater than our culture, what we've been doing? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water, everyone who drinks from this, this lineage, this background, everyone will be thirsty again, but the one who drinks from me, right, the one who drinks what I give him will never be thirsty again. Yeah, for the woman, she's still not there, although she's slowly getting there, and she goes on, but fine, but our people, right, Worship in this mountain. And your people worship in that mountain. Worship in Jerusalem. Right? She's bringing up all these divisions that divide people. And she's saying, what are you telling me? But we're supposed to worship in this place. And you tell us this is a place of worship. How does this work? And Jesus goes and says, believe me, woman. The worshipers, the true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. He shows her there's a new way of coming and engaging God. It's not about a location. It's not about religious practice. It's about the heart. It's about this relationship, this intimacy, that I, I can't imagine how this woman must be feeling at this point. Right? He's saying, no, the true worshipers, the time has come. Now we're at the place where to worship God is in heart and in mind. It's not about where you're from. It's not about your religion. It's not about your culture. It's not about your gender. It's not about your racial background, right? But the truth is, often, this is really, really hard for us to do. It's really easy to associate with like-minded people. It's easy to stay contained in a safe place. But I think John starts the story by Jesus engaging, having to go through Samaria, having to go through this village, going, breaking all these barriers because the gospel is meant for all people. The gospel is meant for me and for you and for everybody who looks like you and for everybody who doesn't look like you. It's for the person that you love and for the, for the person you just can't stand. Right? Jesus comes for all of us. That's what the gospel is about. I think that's one of the first points this text teaches us. So what about you? Right? When you're sharing the gospel, how often are we engaging people who are different from us? What are the divisions that our world is telling us that we should be okay with? What are the tensions this world, society says, no, you should hate those people, or you should avoid that people, or maybe, God forbid, sometimes go around this neighborhood. But Jesus goes through and through the neighborhood instead of around the neighborhood because the gospel is that important, it's that urgent. I think that's the first point. I think the second point I would love for us to see and that this text helps us to understand is that the gospel reorients our priority and our purpose. Like, when people encounter Jesus, you can't help it but to reorient your priorities and your purpose. And in verse 28, we see this. The woman who's left this town, right, who's come to, to get water in the middle of the day, avoiding people, hoping she would never run into anybody. Now she encounters Jesus, who wouldn't leave her alone. And she finally gets it that he is the Messiah, the Savior. And she can't help it, but in verse 28, so the woman left the water jar and went away and back into the same town. Once she experienced a taste of who Jesus is, right? A, a man who crossed all these boundaries and barriers to reach her. 
A man who showed her probably for the first time a true and holistic, incredible love. She's been with six men. She's finally engaging the true man, the seventh man, the complete man. He restores this thing in her, and now she can't help it but to leave what she came for. Her original purpose was to get water, yet she leaves that and goes back to the very same people she's been avoiding. Her plans change because of what Jesus did in her life. Because of what Jesus reveals to her and who he is and really who she is. And all of a sudden, she jumps and goes back into that very same town. Beloved, I am convinced that we are, all of us here from different places, right? Different walks of life. Some of us are engineers, doctors, janitors, moms, parents, single, married, whatever our background is. Often we're told those are our qual- identifiers. Those are who we are. But when we encounter Jesus, like the true redemption, the grace, saving power of Jesus, Jesus gives us a new identity, a new purpose, and that is to go and make his name known. You just can't help it when you reflect and experience Jesus just for a few minutes. Right? That's all this woman experienced. She goes back to the very same town that she's avoiding. So all of a sudden, when you go to your work, it's not so that you can complete a task and get paid and provide for your family. It is that you go to work because that becomes your new mission field. Like, you're convinced that Jesus has done for you so incredible, you want to go into your work and tell them about Jesus. If you're a student, all of a sudden you're not going to school just to study. Your main purpose becomes, how can I influence people in this space so they can know the saving grace of Jesus Christ? Right? If you're a mom in your mom groups, yes, you're there to meet people and to care for your children. But, but the, the power of Jesus whispers and says, but that person doesn't know me. And all of a sudden, the purpose of who God is in our life impacts the purpose of what we ought to do with our life. We go and make disciples. We go and tell people about Jesus. God becomes and is our new purpose and our new priority. Uh, I would love to share with you just a quick story. Uh, One of our students, her name is Megan, uh, became a believer her freshman year. And so she's really brand new in her faith, maybe about two years now. And she had to write this philosophy paper for her class about some economics and justice. I tried to read it. It was beyond my comprehension. Uh, But in that paper, she was writing a... uh, making an argument, or at least uh, analyzing a philosopher who talked about justice uh, through capabilities and certain human traits. And, but she, she, she was writing this paper, right? She's who's fo- somebody who follows Jesus. But in her paper, she writes about uh, justice through the image of God. As she's analyzing this paper, she brings up, but he- here's a way that justice can be more complete. Right? She's just a student, but she's bringing up her faith into her paper. And and I was reading this paper last night, and she told me, you can't talk about it unless you read it. So I did. And, but it's almost, every page had like some Bible story. Stories from like Genesis to Noah to like New Testament Jesus and Peter, I mean, and Paul. Friends, this is a new believer. And her professor's an atheist. So she submits this paper, and he, she gets her grade back, and she did great. But I want to read to you what her professor uh, wrote. First of all, your paper was really original. It was refreshing to see that you applied the material to your religious studies background and do something totally interesting and unexpected. 
The importance of dignity and autonomy in Nozabon's capabilities approach is made especially clear, which shows me that you understood a compelling text that I'm bummed we didn't get to talk about as much as we should have. Furthermore, the connections you made to the image of God, image Deo, were really promising and your argument was convincing. I think we need a theology that foregrounds basic comp compassion implicit in this philosopher's approach and in the teachings of Jesus and teachings of Christ. This was not only a great paper, but one that I think could have actual real-world implications. She's a new believer, but she just talked about what she knew. Megan is a student, but she's not here to study. She's a child of God first. And so she incorporated her faith into this paper. And she wasn't doing it to convince this person or to convert. She's just being herself. I remember when she was thinking through this paper. But her atheist professor has now a new narrative, a new experience, right? A different experience of what the gospel and what Jesus is about, what the Bible is about. And I think that's for all of us. That if we can start seeing our workspace, the hours that we put, so many hours, right, doing tasks. What if it's not just about the task? What if it's not just about getting water? What if it's not about getting some job done? But what if that's the space God wants you, God has specifically and strategically placed you so you can have influence? What would that look like to have influence in the uh, neighborhood that you live in by inviting people intentionally into your space? The gospel reorients our priority, especially when we taste and see the goodness of Jesus. And thirdly, the gospel is about invitation. And this text shows us this. In verse 29, this is how the woman responds. She goes to the very town that she's been avoiding and she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of town and were coming to him. She goes back to the same people and she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, one of the questions that quickly comes to my mind, and I hope it does to you, is like, what happened to this woman? What happened to her fears and concerns about the town? Right? Where do, they, where do they go? Why is she all of a sudden courageous? And, how, and I think this is incredible. How was she able to convince an entire town now to come to Jesus and want to follow him? Like, what are her qualifications? The truth is she's probably tempted to think, okay, I'm a woman. In culture, we also know that women's testimony does not carry weight. Right? Women cannot testify in court at this time. So what she's doing is also a no-no. <laughs> right? But she goes and still testifies about this Jesus she just experienced. She has a reputation of being with five men or six men. Yet she goes back to the town and says, Come and see about a man who told me everything about my life. See, the town probably doesn't trust her. And she's probably been scarred by the town. She's probably triggered by just the many ways that they've rejected her. Yet, because of this small moment with Jesus and what he's shown her, she goes anyways. I don't think she's just courageous. All those things are not a problem anymore. I just think she's found something greater than the things that she's afraid of. I think she just goes in despite those concerns and those barriers. How about us? What are some of the reasons we hesitate? What are some of the reasons we hold back from telling other people about the saving grace of Jesus? Maybe you're an extrovert or you see that as a hindrance or maybe you're an introvert and, and that scares you, the idea of talking to people. 
Uh, maybe you feel like you don't know enough or not qualified. Uh, I think the reality for a lot of us is that we're just busy, right? There isn't enough time. You know, if you're running around like chasing kids, uh, dealing with health issues or just the realities of proposals and work and September is coming and you have to spend a certain amount of money and put in proposals, it's just crazy time. Maybe there isn't time. And I think one of the reasons for many of us that we hesitate from sharing about the gospel or about Jesus is because we feel like we're not equipped. We're just not good enough. We don't have the resources that we need. We haven't been trained enough. But my friends, my hope today is that I want to inspire us, and I think God's word inspires us through this woman. And I think in seeing how she approaches, we can resist some of these uh, lies or some of these uh, reasons. What does the woman say that was so profound and so compelling that an entire village comes? All she says was, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. I mean, if you notice, there's no apologetics argument here, right? She just says, come see a man who told me that I ever did. Could he be the Christ? That's it. I mean, th- imagine if that's just the gospel presentation. You just come see a man who told me everything about my life. What trainings has she had? None. How many home groups or small groups has she attended? None. What diagram has she studied how to present the gospel? The truth is none. Quite the opposite, right? She barely knows anything. And the few minutes that we ha- she had with Jesus was all she needed. All she does is she shares what Jesus did for her and poses the question, can he be the Christ? That's it. Can he be the Christ? I think we should look at her model. I think we should follow her steps. I think somehow we think to share the gospel effectively means to be trained, to go to seminary, to attend certain studies. And I'm not saying, please don't tell Adam or Jeremy, like Israel said, don't be trained, don't be equipped. That's, that's not what I'm saying. These are all good things. But if the trainings replace the power of what Jesus did for us, the true testimony of what, how God has transformed us, then there's no training that will ever be effective or efficient to make people hear about Jesus. Some people are really good at convincing you to believe in things, right? They can sell you things you don't need. They're just really good at compelling people. And, and we see a lot of people that are good at that. And, and in fact, they might, you might even convince masses to say a prayer and, and, and be saved. But then, you know, those very same people go back and, and just live life that's not transformed. So this is not about being good at convincing people. This is about bringing Jesus with us because he's the only one that convinces hearts and minds. And my friends, your testimony... God's redemptive work in you, your story as is is more than enough. You just have to keep telling it. And invite people to explore Jesus. Could he be the Christ? How often do we share our testimony with others? How often do we share God's work in your life, how he's redeemed you and cared for you? I mean, seriously, how often do we do that? Jesus at least was modeled for us for this woman. It's just Come see a man who told me everything about my life. Can he be the Christ? I wish I had a bit more profound point here, but it's just really that simple. It's like, can he be the, can he be the Christ? The most compelling case about Jesus 
one of the most compelling cases about Jesus is you. It's me. It's what God has done in our life. And that is enough. And when we don't share that, I think we're hoarding this good thing. We're keeping it to ourselves. So if anything, I want you to leave this place saying, wow, the most compelling case about Jesus, one of the most compelling reasons why Jesus matters is because of the work he's done in me. And I want to know somebody in my life, I want them to know what he's done for me. And when we do that, it transforms lives. Uh, I want to tell you a story of one of our students, Rachel. Uh, Rachel is uh, started, this is a few years ago, started attending a varsity, but she's not a believer. And uh, so, but she came like from freshman year all the way through like senior year. And now I'm doing this, I call them exit interviews. I sit with all the inter- seniors that have been involved in the fellowship, just saying, hey, okay, like what's next for you? And, and I realized in that moment that Rachel is not still following Jesus, even though she's been involved for four years. And so I finally, I was like, Rachel, have you ever thought about following Jesus? She's like, what do you mean? Well, I'm like, has anybody in our fellowship shared the gospel with you and who Jesus is? She's like, no, like, tell me. And so I tell her about my story and how I've encountered Jesus. And I then invite her to, uh, to consider following Jesus. But she's like, well, that's amazing. And I, and I asked her, like, have you wondered why none of your friends have asked you to follow Jesus? Now, when I tell these stories, this story, my students freak out because what she told me was, no, they haven't. Uh, and so I start to tell her about their story. Well, here's how Roxanne came to know the Lord and just her transformation. Here's how Meg came to know the Lord and her transformation. Here's how Amanda came to know the Lord. Now, Rachel is, you can see visibly she's getting really frustrated and angry. And I was like, what's going on? She's like, wait, this is what they, why they follow Jesus? Because of these incredible things that he did for them, how come they didn't tell me? How come nobody has asked me or shared these stories with me? Because I would want to be part of that. I was like, I don't know. Why don't we ask them? So we made a list of every person she knew in the fellowship who was a believer, who was a follower of Jesus. And I said, you should go back and ask them, why have you not asked me to follow Jesus? Why have you not shared your story with me? And the truth is, all of their reasons are a lot like probably ours. They didn't want to push her off. They didn't want to offend her. They didn't want to break trust with her. They didn't want to, right? They, they want to invest in a relationship. They didn't, they want to do it the right way. They were afraid of messing up. But her response was like, who cares? Like, I tell you about my life all the time. Like, you tell me about your life all the time. Why would you hold this one thing about your life that is giving you this life that you, see you claim to have? And so they all went back and started telling her their story. And what Jesus did for them. And none of them are crazy, profound things. It's just as simple as Meg's was how she came to know the Lord at five years old when she spilled a bowl of spaghetti. And she was so crushed. She was so mad and disappointed. And her mom just affirmed there, oh, no, it's okay. You're still loved. And that was the gospel presentation her mom did in that moment. And that was it. That's how she came to the Lord. And so Meg tells Rachel this story. Something, sometimes I think we think to share the gospel means to have some crazy, dramatic story you know, that somehow will, it's just fun and attractive. But, but I think the gospel is the power, right? And, and so for Rachel, as she gave her life to Jesus that, right, like her last week of school, it was because of the work that Jesus did in others. And the work that Jesus did in you, my friends, is more than compelling. It's more than compelling for other people to experience the love of Jesus. And lastly... 
Uh, I think the last point in this story makes is that the gospel is not about us. Uh, in verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I used to be a little bit frustrated with this part of the story. I was like, wait a minute, the woman talked to you, you know? Like, you're following Jesus because of the woman. But they come to her, it's like, actually, we're no longer believing because of what you said, but because we heard from Jesus ourselves. I think often we're good at saying, oh, we don't convert people, God does. But a lot of our behavior is really a work of us trying to convince people. Uh, For this woman, right, Jesus used her story to catch people's interest about who Jesus is. And some people believed because of that. But all she did was, right, can this be the man? And she says, can he be the Christ, right? He told me everything, can he be the Christ? She asked, posed the question, which means people came to hear an answer to that question. Wait, is he the Messiah? So they show up, and because of her story, they show up, but it's because of Jesus that they believe. Right? Which means it wasn't about the woman at all. The woman is just a vessel that the Lord used to compel a whole town about his power and his authority. That's all she was, and that's all we are. So we shouldn't take it so personally. If we tell our story and somebody rejects us, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. This work is not about us. This is about the work of Christ. He compels. He changes hearts. He transforms. And he saves. But we have this critical role that we get to play. We get to tell our stories. And God uses that story for people to want to know more. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I think that's amazing that Jesus uses our story, whatever it is, to catch people's attention, people's interest about who he is. And the town comes, and they believed, not because of what she said any longer, but because of what they heard from Jesus. So imagine if our role just is to tell people our story and invite them to church, invite them to small group, invite them to our house, invite them to opportunities where they can encounter Jesus. And it's Jesus that actually does the work. And sometimes it's you talking. Often, a lot of people that have come to faith around me, it was like, I am saying gibberish things. I'm like, what am I doing? Stop talking, Israel. Right, like, and then at the end they were like, "Man, I want to follow Jesus." I'm like, "Wait, why?" You know what I mean? It's like everything I said was like what I trained my students not to do, right? But that's when I realized, oh, it's not really about me. It's just I, the role I play is just to be faithful and obedient. But really, it's about God's work. But I think it's amazing that He invites us to partner with Him. It reminds me a lot of like my son and I. Uh, every morning, he loves to make eggs. Uh, well, more like he likes, he loves to help me make eggs. Uh, but I'll be honest, he's not the most, he's not here to hear, so. He's not the most efficient baker or egg maker. Often he will try to, you know, break the eggs and shells are kind of all over the place. Uh, he'll try to like, you know, mix the egg while it's burning. We're like, hey, stay, you know, stay back, but he just wants to get close. So, you know, it, eggs take about five, ten minutes to make, Right? But because of his involvement, it takes quite a bit. 
and often there's a broken egg. You know, it's just it's messy. But I, I promise you, it's one of my favorite things to do in the morning. I just love it because it's not about the eggs, right? It's about the time with him. Rumor has it, what people who've raised grown-ups have told me is that your kids kind of stop wanting to do that with you anymore. So I'm just cherishing that moment, right, because I'm his father and I need that. And I think that's what the father does for us, is that when we share our stories, he wants that intimacy with us, right, that partnership. But really, it's not because we're wise. It's not because we're coherent. It's not because we're, no, it's because it's the power of Christ who compels people. So my friends, what I want to encourage you and I want to leave you with is, would you, gen- would you share your story generously? Would you let people know what Jesus did in your life? For this woman, God used her story to catch the attention of the crowd. And because of that, they come to Jesus and Jesus wins them. And God is inviting us to do the same thing. Are we willing to share our story as it is, as simple as it is, as profound as it is, the power is not in us, the power is in the gospel. And so I hope, my hope is that you would see yourself as the most qualified, most experienced uh, dispenser of the gospel, sharer of the goodness of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has done work in you. But if you're here visiting and you're like, well, I want to experience this Jesus, I want to promise you this. Like we see with this woman, Jesus is willing to cross any barrier and any boundary to come to you. He's willing to, he sacrifices his life so you can have life in abundance. And so if you're here exploring this Jesus, I want to beg you not to leave until you talk to somebody about following him. He is pursuing you. He's chasing after you. There's a sense of urgency to that because we know nothing about our life. We know nothing about what tomorrow holds. But Jesus says, I have come so that to save the lost, to give life and abundance. And he wants that for you. And so if you're here, please talk to elders. Talk to the person who's sitting next to you. But if you're following Jesus, I want to beg you. I want to plead with you. Share your story, what Jesus has done for you. That's all you need. And then go, you know, do the, the classes and trainings. That's great. But those supplement trainings, those supplement classes for the power of Jesus that's been revealed already in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are deeply grateful for your love, for your mercy. Uh, we thank you for the stories like this woman who, in so many ways, is the most unqualified, undeserving, uh, and and just as somebody who should not be a witness, but you have transformed her life. And she went and told what you've done for her, and a whole village has come to know you. Lord, would you help us to remember that your gospel is for all people. So help us to identify places that we're going around, but to go through with conviction to make your name known. Help us to generously invite people into your kingdom Help us to generously share our stories with those who do not know you. And Father, help us to remember that this is all about you. You are the one who changes hearts and minds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.